I am so encouraged by our church and all that's going on at this point. I want to begin, uh, I, I went and grabbed it off my shelf today, a book that has greatly impacted my life. I would probably say it's one of the top books, obviously, outside of the scripture that has impacted my life. It was on the shelf. I saw it the other day, and so I grabbed it. It's, it's a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, and uh, the book's title is Spiritual Depression, Its Cause and Its Cure, and it just made a profound impact on my life. It's not really about depression, as you would think about that clinically or even psychologically, by that, he's just talking about our need for faith, and he describes what faith is and what faith does and, and what faith gives, gives us in terms of our confidence in the Scripture. And really, it's a book about the Psalms. Uh, and so he walks through different Psalms and the issue of faith. But one of the things that he said in that book on spiritual depression Lloyd-Jones said that I have no hesitation in asserting again that one of the reasons why the Christian church counts so little in the world or in this modern world is that so many Christians are in this condition of spiritual depression. Lloyd-Jones said that the greatest need uh, of the hour is a revived and joyful church. He said, unhappy Christians are, to say the least, a poor recommendation of the Christian faith, end of quotes. The greatest need of the hour is a revived and a joyful church. Certainly one of the thieves of joy is this theme of anxiety. And so we conclude our series this morning on the cure for anxiety in a pandemic age. And I think and I believe this may very well be one of the most important messages that I've given in this series. It pertains to the issue of tomorrow. What do you do with tomorrow? In fact, tomorrow, the subject, the theme of tomorrow as it relates to anxiety may well be the key for handling anxiety from a biblical perspective. It's the issue of tomorrow. Did you know that most anxiety actually never occurs? One doctor who did research on this discovered that only 8% of the things that people worried about were legitimate matters of concern. In other words, the 92% were either imaginary or never happened or were matters over which most people had no control. But nevertheless, tomorrow causes anxiety. Let me just ask you, are you anxious this morning about tomorrow? And if I were to ask you, what is the source of your anxiety, what would you say? As we turn our attention to the Lord's table, maybe if you just locked in, if you thought, yeah, Pastor Scott, I'm anxious. I'm anxious about my business. I'm anxious about this decision. I'm anxious about the future. I'm anxious about tomorrow. I'm anxious about a potential move for our family. I'm anxious about my kids. I'm anxious about family, children, finances, schooling, 
whatever it might be, aging parents. You know, all anxiety is about tomorrow, but that anxiety is experienced today. Let me say this, just as you lock this into your mind as we come into the text. When we are anxious, we are anxious in the present about some event which may happen in the future. When you think about it, anxiety today is always anxiety about something in the day or something that we're going to face in the future. In fact, if you type in anxiety into Google the number one hit would lead you to the Anxiety Disorders Association of America. And you would find anxiety disorders categorized in numerous ways. It's, it's quite an interesting read. At the top of that list is Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, OCD. I thought the description of it was interesting. Individuals are plagued by persistent thoughts that reflect exaggerated anxieties or fears. The obsession may lead, to perform, uh, lead one to perform a routine compulsions. And one of those compulsions is the washing of hands. So I suppose we may all be guilty of that in the last months that have been before us. But it's the repeating of phrases. Even the it, description went on to say the hoarding to relieve the anxiety caused by the obsession. Another one of these anxieties listed, and there's many of them, is panic disorder where people suffer severe attacks of panic, which may make them feel like they are having a heart attack, for which uh, there's no apparent reason for that. Symptoms include heart palpitations, chest pains, sweating, this is all described, trembling, tingling sensations, feeling of choking, fear of dying. In fact, it went on to say that this disorder often occurs with agoraphobia, in which people are afraid of having a panic attack in a place from which escape would be difficult, so they avoid these places so as to not feel trapped or helpless. I mean, there are myriads of these things which cause panic. Years ago, in one of the churches I served, a man wanted to, to meet with me, and so I said, absolutely. And he came into my office, a young man, family, young kids, and said, Pastor Scott, I just am struggling. And I said, what are you struggling with? He said, I am struggling with uh, panic attacks. I said, describe for me what happens. He goes, well, the other day I was just in my kitchen and I, I begin to lose my balance and I begin to feel like the room is spinning around me. And he goes, it gets so bad that I actually have to sit down. So I begin to ask him more questions, not trying to doubt the validity of what he's telling me physically, that he feels like the room is spinning around, that he's losing his balance. He has to grab the kitchen counter, then he has to go down and sit down. And then I asked him, what is it that you're thinking when this is going on and what's the problem? And he said, Pastor Scott, the problem is what you're preaching on. And I said, really? I go, tell me about that. And I had been in a series on the book of Daniel, and I was beginning to describe in the book of Daniel the end times. And as I begin to paint a picture of the future and begin to paint a picture of the Antichrist and of the coming judgment on this world, fear captured his heart. 
And so as fear captured his heart, he began to think about his children, and he began to think about the future, and it began to paralyze him. Now, what's interesting is how that young man grew up. He grew up in a very interesting situation where he had a brother pass away, and so his mom grew up in fear that she would lose another boy. She overprotected him, didn't let him go outside, didn't let him climb a tree, didn't let him ride a bike. And so consequently, he grew up kind of hounded over. And then anything as it relates to the future caused him panic. But there very well is my point. All anxiety deals with something in the future. He feared the coming Antichrist. He feared the end of the world as described in the book of Daniel. He feared that last week, which is known as the 70th week. But it can happen to all of us. I mean, we could all fear. You could have some anxiety even today. Sometimes it grips you. Sometimes it, it rips you. I remember one time I was on my way home from work at a church that I was pastoring in Chicago. And maybe I was just, at the end of the day, maybe I was tired. The next day I had a, had a plane flight to go speak in Baltimore. And I worked all that week to, to get ready for what I needed to do. And then I was heading out the next morning very early. And I came to a stop sign and there was a, a van there. And uh, on the van, it was a flower van. I could still remember it. And it had the phone number, and the phone number was, you know, the area code, and then the next three numbers were 927. And so I'm sitting at that stop sign, and I see 927. And my mind began to wander, and it began to wander to the Scripture out of Hebrews 927, where the Scripture says it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. And all of a sudden, for that moment there, I got lost in thought that I needed to not be on that plane tomorrow. For it is appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. And I probably was, you know, getting ready to go home to my seven children and my wife, and fear seized me. It got so bad that I stood there, and cars were on the horn behind me. I just, I couldn't move for a second. I thought, oh, I shouldn't get on this plane. And so I went home and I did what any good pastor should do. I canceled that flight. No, I didn't. I didn't. I stayed with the flight and God, of course, blessed that. But I got locked up in that. Listen, beloved, whatever it may be, is as unbelief enters into my heart or your heart, the byproduct is anxiety. And as we come to the text, as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, you're going to find our Lord saying this, don't tackle tomorrow's trouble until tomorrow. In other words, he brings up the issue of tomorrow. In fact, look at 634, we'll lead this into communion, where he says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, as we've been looking at this in the last weeks, the theme here is anxiousness. And there's a command by our Lord to not be anxious. He says it six different times. He begins at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 27 says, And which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? He says it six different times. He commands us 
to not be anxious. And the question would come, is there an antidote to anxiety? And the answer, of course, would be yes. Our Lord gives three reasons why anxiety is incompatible with our faith in our Heavenly Father. Okay? Three reasons why that anxiety is incompatible with faith in our Heavenly Father. And we've really touched on all three, and I just bring us to the concluding thought. First there in your bulletin, he states a principle. The principle is in 25. Therefore, I tell you not to be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or, or for your body as to what you shall put on. And he argues convincingly regarding this principle in verse 25 is this, is not life more than food and body than clothing? And the answer is yes, it's much more than that for the believer. Those are the things that the Gentiles seek later in this passage. It's much more than that. But he gave us a biblical principle there. And then secondly, Jesus sketches a picture in 26 through 30. He gave three pictures as to why we're to not be anxious. In other words, he gives the reasons for the principle. And he says, in the first picture, your father's provided. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the answer, of course, would be yes. And so he says, your father has provided for you. He cares for the birds. He knows when the sparrow falls in John chapter 10. Your father has provided for you. So you need to trust him for the future. If he takes care of the lesser, then he's going to take care of the greater, and the greater is you. So he says, your father has provided. The second picture is, your future is decided. Verse 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life span? And the answer would be, no one. None of you, can be, by being anxious, is going to be able to extend your life. Your days were all written in the book, it says in Psalm, when there was not yet one. So your future, listen, don't be anxious because your future has already been decided. He's marked out your days. He put them all in a book before there was one. And if you, by being anxious, think you can add to your life, if you, by being on a health fit, you know, uh, just direction, which is of some discipline, is of some profit, that's good, but you're not going to lengthen the life that the Lord has already prescribed for you. So he says, your father's provided, your future's decided, and he said, your fashion is derided. He said, look at the lilies of the field in verse 28, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And he says, listen, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about life's luxuries in 19 through 24. Don't worry here about life's necessities. He says in verse 30, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the service, oven, excuse me, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? In other words, he 
clothes the lily of the field. It's momentary at best, verse 30. How much more will he not clothe you of little faith? Again, from the lesser to the greater. In other words, he's going to take care of you. So he states a principle, he sketches a, a, a picture, and then thirdly, he secures a promise. And that's where we finished last week. He said, replace your anxiety with these two commitments. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He said, replace your anxiety with the kingdom. Replace your anxiety with the rule of God, with the reign of God. Replace your anxiety about the present with the coming kingdom that David read about today in Revelation chapter 21. Seek his kingdom first in, in a series of options your passion as a family, your passion as a father, your passion and duty, more than just even providing, which you need to do that, is to model this seeking of the kingdom of God. And then he says to seek his righteousness. The ideal is to seek his holiness. In other words, we long for a, a better kingdom. We serve a God who has a better place in mind. Now we said that as you do that, Here's this secure promise. Look at verse 33. And all these things will be added unto you. In other words, as you prize his kingdom, as you seek his righteousness, all the things about food and clothing and life, God's going to add unto you. In other words, you don't need to be concerned about tomorrow because not only will he take care of you in the present, he will also take care of you in the future. So he finishes with this conclusion, and you probably know it by heart. He says, therefore, in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's break that down just for a moment, and then we'll lead into communion. He says there at the beginning, Therefore, and he's coming to the conclusion of his argument that was started in verse 19. In fact, as you come to verse 34, he comes full circle with his argument. If you look back in verse 25, in verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. In other words, make his kingdom your priority. Make his lordship the issue. You can only serve one master. And now as he comes to the end of the argument, he comes full circle. The point would be this, as you see verse 34. In view of God's magnificent promise of seeking his kingdom and seeking his righteousness and the promise given there that all these things will be added unto you, then therefore do not be anxious in verse 34. I mean, I think you and I would agree we're not to be anxious regarding our needs for today. He gave those pictures that we just spoke about. But here we're challenged by our Lord Jesus Christ to not worry about our needs for tomorrow. To not be anxious about tomorrow. Now you'll note that he gives a negative command there in verse 34. The number of his commands are negative. He's trying to help us. He says, do not be anxious for tomorrow. 
Now, the idea of anxiousness or worry, either way, just that word there just means to worry or it means to fear. In other words, don't be worried about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't fear tomorrow is the thought. And you'll note that I just said it, what we're not to fear, look in the text, is tomorrow. And that word tomorrow refers to uh, not just the 24 hours. That's not the point. The the Greek word there speaks of a, a stretch of time more than just 24 hours. Really what he gives here is a figure of speech that points to the future. In other words, don't be anxious for tomorrow or don't be anxious for the future. Now, let me clarify this for you. Providing for tomorrow is godly, but being anxious for tomorrow is a sin. I mean, certainly you have to provide. Certainly you have to consider tomorrow in your planning. But there's a difference between trusting God and providing and being anxious for tomorrow and it being a sin. And it's a sin especially because... Jesus just secured the promise that all these things will be added unto you. Now, as you come to this conclusion, does our Lord, there are just two specific reasons for that conclusion. It's the problem of tomorrow and the problem of today. The problem of tomorrow first and then the problem of today. First, the, tomorrow, the problem of tomorrow. Look at the text again. He says, therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. And here it is. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Now, what you have here is that Jesus is personifying tomorrow. He he makes tomorrow as a person, if you will. I think there may even be a touch of humor. The idea is that tomorrow is fretting. Tomorrow is pacing the floor. Tomorrow, just the concept, the personification of it is wringing its hands. He's describing some kind of hyperventilating person on the brink of some kind of attack. And what Jesus says to you and what he says to me is leave tomorrow alone. If tomorrow creates anxiety, he's saying to you, leave tomorrow alone. Your heavenly father cares for you. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. Your heavenly Father clothes the lilies of the field. Your heavenly Father says that you can't add to your life that He's sovereign over it. So if you become anxious about tomorrow, it will make you anxious today. And so Jesus says, look again in verse 34. He says, tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Wearsby, the old commentator, said that we are continually crucified between two thieves. He said the regrets of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow. And so here, Jesus exhorts us to take the grace that God supplies for the needs of today or you will lose the joy of today on the problems of tomorrow. Listen, beloved, 
One of the fruits of the Spirit you know is this. Love, and what's the second one? Joy. Listen, if you become, or I do, so anxious over the future, you will not manifest the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. And a lack of joy is a sin. And I remember when I was early as a, as a dad, and we had these seven kids, and we had seven kids, as I've told you, in nine years And it was busy. I had a busy church in Chicago that I was pastoring. I was a young pastor. I took this church in Chicago at 31. And as we moved there with four kids, it quickly went to seven with the birth of the twins. And and it was overwhelming at times. I'm just being honest with you. Trying to pastor this flock. I'm a young pastor at best. It was a high-powered church right in Chicago, right by uh, Wheaton College. Many people were in that church, and it was difficult. And I had to learn as a young father to not bring the issues of tomorrow, the concerns of tomorrow, the concerns of all the people that I would shepherd home. And so I had to just make a point in my life that as I drove home, as I got into a certain section of this high school that had won five state championships in a row, I just had to turn it off a little bit. And I had to come into my house, and we had office hours, so I probably worked from about 8 to 5.30. And as I came into the door, I just had to remind myself that I'm not tired, that my wife is more tired than me, that I have seven kids And we determined, and I determined at an early age that I would be the king of fun in my house. And so I had to put off all the issues of tomorrow, open the door, and immediately go into attack mode of wrestling. Because I wanted fun and joy and laughter to be the greatest description of my home. But I realized that if I didn't choose to do that, if I didn't choose joy, I could become very lazy at that point. And so I made it my joy to come home and made it my passion to come home. Listen, I want to encourage you, don't look fearfully into the future and give away the joy of today over some tomorrow that may never come to pass. So here Jesus says there is first the problem of tomorrow. Tomorrow is anxious for itself. And he exhorts you to not be anxious about your tomorrow. So he first says, here's the problem of tomorrow. Then secondly, the problem of today. He said there in 34, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He mentions that word trouble there. It's interesting that the word for trouble was applied in one context to crop damage caused by hail. It's an interesting word. And certainly living in this area, we see the danger of crop damage caused by hail. In fact, that word for trouble in the Old Testament sometimes was translated by the word evil. Sometimes it was translated as misfortune. Here it's just translated, as you can see it, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, God never promised you a trial-free life. 
He says, in this world, Jesus said, you have trouble. In this world, you have tribulation. Attend to the matters at hand. Get through the day and focus on what is before you. In other words, he's helping us with our anxiety. You've got the problem of tomorrow. Leave it alone. He says, you got the trouble of today and that's enough. Now, this doesn't mean again You're not to plan for the future. We know from Luke 14, there's wisdom in that. We know from Luke 14, that's responsible. Nor is Jesus being unrealistic here. In other words, providing for tomorrow is good. But let me say it again. Being anxious for tomorrow is sin. And so the exhortation is to not be anxious about today's trouble and even tomorrow's trouble. Ryle, the commentator, said, be sure of this one thing. He said, if tomorrow brings a cross, he who sins it can and will send grace to bear it. Listen, you've got to deal with that, and I've got to deal with that. It's good to provide, but it's sinful to be anxious. You remember that great song that we sing sometimes? It's a scripture out of Lamentations 3. It's at the bottom of your sermon notes that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every, what? Morning. Great is thy faithfulness. They're new every morning. In other words, his mercies come to us new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. But the last verse there that we sometimes leave off right there is this. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So his mercies are given to us new every morning. But I'm going to hope in him in the future. The great woman of God, Corey Ten Boom, her biography is fabulous, said this, Worry doesn't drain tomorrow of its sorrow. It drains today of its strength. I think, well said. It doesn't drain tomorrow of its sorrows. It drains today of its strength. Listen, you got to give tomorrow to the Lord. You can't be anxious for tomorrow. The secret to not being anxious is actually to live one day at a time. But sometimes we pick fights with tomorrow and we exhaust ourselves fighting tomorrow's battle and we drain ourselves of today's strength. Listen, tomorrow's trouble may never come. And so our Lord gives a very realistic practical issue here, an antidote to handling anxiety, is don't exhaust yourself fighting a battle tomorrow and drain yourself of today's strength. See, often we import tomorrow's troubles into today. In fact, you've heard that saying, don't cross that bridge until you what? Until you get to it. But we have crossed bridges that are 5, 10, 15 miles down the road. And we've got to be careful. Again, providing is wise, but anxiety is sin. We're exhausting ourselves. We're distracting ourselves today regarding tomorrow. 
the principle that Christ is giving us here is we have to live one day at a time. There's grace for today. So listen, if you're losing your joy, that's not good. If you're contemplating tomorrow, that's not good. If you're wondering about athletics for the fall or whatever it may be, and you're losing your joy over that, Jesus says, listen, I've given you my mercies and they're new every day. It's like manna in the wilderness. God gives us enough for one day, but we can't hoard it. There's grace that he gives for today. In fact, God doesn't give you grace for tomorrow until tomorrow. So today's grace is sufficient only for today. You say, well, Pastor Scott, if tomorrow brings trouble, then I would say this, that there will be new grace to meet that trouble tomorrow. So listen, we have to deal with this. There's the problem of today. There's the problem of tomorrow. One said that there are two days out of every week that we must learn to never worry about. One is yesterday and the other is tomorrow. Listen, two days, don't be anxious about. One is yesterday and the other is tomorrow. That leaves only today to struggle through. Have you heard this statement? Better not trouble trouble until it troubles you, for you only make your trouble double trouble when you do. It's good, isn't it? Take the burden of today. Enjoy the grace of God that he gives you today. And leave the future to trust in your heavenly father. Let me just ask you a question, believer. As I ask my own heart. If God has met your daily needs as you look back. Will he not care for you in the future? Has not God been good to you? Has he not been faithful to you? Has he not been present in your greatest difficulty? Listen, remember here the birds of the air. Remember that he clothes the lilies of the field. And remember your heavenly father that he knows everything you need. And he knows that you need all these things and he's already secured the promise. All these things will be added unto you. Don't believer, cripple the present by worrying about the future. You say, well, pastor, there's just so much that could go wrong. I know, but he's going to give you grace today. You say, but pastor, we don't even know what, what is our country going to be like tomorrow. I don't know. In fact, I saw Ben Shapiro. Sometimes I listen to his podcast and the title of one of them was the end of America. Could be true. But if you lock into that and it begins to paralyze you and as a parent, if you begin to lose all your joy and if you stop trusting in your heavenly father who feeds the birds, who clothes the lilies of the field, you can't add a single cubit to your lifespan. If you start worrying about tomorrow, it can paralyze you. It can cripple you. It can rip the joy out of your home. It could distract you. It could occupy all your thoughts that just become a wedge that go into the tomorrow. You say, well, pastor, I'm concerned about my kids. I'm concerned about my grandchildren. Well, there's some concern that's 
godly and we understand that. But you have today. You have the joy of today. You have the fact that we could partake of the Lord's death today. You say, but I don't know what's going to happen to my future. I don't even know if I'm going to have a job in the future. And some of you may have lost your job. Listen, all I know is we got today. And all I know is that his mercies are new every morning. And I know this, that you can't cripple yourself in the present by worrying about the future. Your heavenly father will be there in the future. And as one said, and when it comes crashing down, he'll be there as well. And you can count it all joy according to James 1-2. So here there's two reasons for this conclusion. The problem of tomorrow. The problem of today. And what is needed, beloved, is a joyful church. What is needed, beloved, is a joyful home. And our God is so gracious to supply you with what you need today. And there's no need to be anxious for tomorrow. In fact, Jesus commands you, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Some of you who are older in the faith remember this great song, Day by Day. Remember how it went? With each passing moment, strength I find to meet the trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure, gives unto you each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me, he whose name is Counselor and Power. And it goes on, those are great lines in that stanza. Listen, as we go to the Lord's table, let me just give you... Just three words for the antidote for anxiety. The first one is faith. Faith. And we need that. Because if you become anxious, it's revealing something about your faith or lack of faith. Look at verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? He says, oh, of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Listen, whatever it is that you might be anxious about, you need to realize that he takes care of the lesser. He's going to take care of the greater. That's you as his children. It could be as you come to the Lord's table, you need to exercise faith. Secondly, Another antidote is the word father. Look at verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the Gentiles seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So the first word is faith in God. The second word is you have a father who cares for you. In fact, George Mueller said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Put all your trust in your Father, knowing, look at verse 32, that you need them all. When you begin to worry or I begin to worry, you act as though the Father doesn't know what you need. And then the third and final word is the word first. 
where you're to seek his kingdom first and to seek his righteousness in a line of all these priorities, his kingdom and his righteousness are to be first in your life. So if we have faith in our Father and we put him first, he will meet all of our needs. Listen, we have a great God. Here's the cure for anxiety. Leave it for the Lord Jesus Christ.